There are times, aren't there, when we're working through the Bible, either in private or in a setting like this when we're doing it, you know, not just private but publicly, there are times when we can arrive at a section of God's Word and it seems directly suited for the here and now. Pretty sure if you're a, a Christian of any number of years, you appreciate what I'm saying. We're going to be working through, either at home or at church, we work through a book of the Bible. We do it sequentially. We maybe do it progressively. We arrive at a section of Scripture. We throw up our hands. We say, wow, because that section of Scripture seems to be written for a present situation either in the world in which we live, or it seems to be written for a present situation in our own life and experience. Isn't that the case? A portion of scripture that seems directly suited to the here and now. Well, this morning, what we do is we continue the sermon series in the book of Malachi. And what happens here is that God addresses us at London City Presbyterian Church on the subject of marriage. Marriage. And hang on, if you consider the makeup of our congregation here, just for a minute, a congregation where we have a number of married couples, a number of young married couples as well, a congregation where we have a number of single people who are burdened for and thinking about marriage, you're going to agree with what I'm going to say here, are you not? That this is one of those portions of scripture, isn't it? That what we have seems directly suited to us here now at London City Presbyterian Church. But before we begin, I have to say this, preface all of this with the following. The section we're going to deal with is tough going. It really is tough going. Like we are confronted in Malachi 2 with sins that I have to say are prevalent in the contemporary church, in the 21st century church. Like before us in Malachi 2, we have sins that are not just present in the lives of the people around us, but there are sins here that are present in our own hearts and our own lives. So we have to do this. We have to approach Malachi chapter 2 in a certain way, with prayerfulness, with a humility, with repentant, contrite hearts. And then I'll just add this as well, that in this section of scripture, God is really addressing two things, two pro two prohibitions, and that's going to kind of set the framework and the structure for the sermon. Last week, there were, what were there, four points to the sermon, maybe, something like that, five points to the sermon, maybe, maybe. It's not like that this morning. We're going to look at two aspects, two points, two prohibitions, and then we will have some application at the end. So are you following me and are you with me? Malachi chapter 2, two prohibitions for us about marriage. Okay, let's make a start. Let's consider the first of those. First is this. So two prohibitions. Here's the first one. God here forbids mixed marriages. That's our first heading. God forbids mixed marriages. Okay, I'm maybe not the greatest fan of doing this, but I think we can do it just now. We can maybe cut a few corners this morning. Because I don't think I really need to labor the historical context of Malachi chapter 2. Because if you've been here for any part of this sermon series thus far, you kind of, you know what's happening, don't you, with Malachi? What's God doing but removing the cover that's been over his people's iniquity? 
Isn't that what God's doing? He's kind of exposing the sin of the recently returned community of faith and we've seen some of this. What have they done? They've lacked love for God as they've come back into the land, haven't they? They've lacked reverence and awe towards God. There's been a failure of word ministry. So I think we don't need to labor it. We all understand the atmosphere of Malachi chapter 2. It's really an expose of the sins of the people of Israel thus far. I think this is also true. That you've probably noticed in this reading that God is now widening out the perspective once again. Were you here last Sunday morning, friend? Do you remember what happened? God zeroed in on the priests. Do you remember that? Like God brought everything to the spiritual leadership and their failings. Now here what God does is he takes a step back and he widens back out the perspective. Now God is speaking to the whole of the people of Israel, the whole community and What is the accusation that God is making? God is saying to all of the people they are guilty of of entering into, but also tolerating what I am calling mixed marriages. Now, what's the question that, that springs to mind, surely, for us just now? We're asking, well, a mixed marriage, what exactly are we dealing with? Now, we might have a general idea. What exactly are we talking about? If God's forbidding a mixed marriage, what does that mean? Well, when I arrived as pastor and and minister of this church, uh, I I came down uh, to London. I think I was ill-prepared for people's attitude toward marriage. I'm a Scotsman, and uh, us Scots will pretty much marry... (laughs) We will pretty much marry anyone. (laughs) I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. I don't mean that we're not picky. Of course, picky. What I mean is ethnically. A Scot will marry. Happy to marry a Scot. Scot, generally speaking, happy to marry somebody from Brazil or Indonesia or wherever, you see? And then I I came down to London and what did I find? What did I realize? That not everyone's like that, are they? I've lost count of how many conversations I've had with people in this church where people have said to me, I'm looking to get married and I'm looking for a spouse, but that person has to really be from the particular part of the world that I'm from. You see the idea, don't you? In order to kind of pacify my parents' expectations, they will say, if I'm from a particular part of Asia, that person's got to be from that particular part of Asia, a particular part of Africa. That, you see the, the idea? Now, what, do we, what could we think? What mistake could we make? We could think that that is what God is talking about in Malachi chapter 2. Couldn't we? As though he is saying to the people of Israel, you've got to marry Israelites. It's got to be from this ethnic line. And I want everyone to see that is not what God is talking about. So would you look at the end of verse 11? End of verse 11. How will we look? What's the problem? Malachi, now think about what Malachi doesn't say. The problem isn't that they've married the daughter of a foreign nation. That's not what it says, is it? What does it say? The problem is they've married the daughter of a foreign God. And now we all realize, don't we? What's the problem here? 
problem is not ethnicity. The problem is idolatry. The people of Israel weren't just marrying foreigners. They were marrying foreigners who continued to worship false gods. What's the prohibition about here? It's about the people of God marrying unbelievers. And I want you to listen to this. That is something that God has forbidden from the very earliest of days. And it's something that God in his mercy to his people has actually gone to great lengths to explain to his people. Because what does he say? This is going to turn you away from me. And in his mercy, what else has he done? God has also provided a supreme example of this. He holds up Solomon. What does Solomon do? Marries all of these pagan women. What happens to Solomon? He turns away from God. And if you were paying attention to the reading, you will have seen that it is something that God threatens with severe punishment. Look at verse 12. Those engaging with intermarriage, what will happen? Verse 12, they're going to be cut off. So is everyone in here on the same page? Are we all with me on this? What's the sin that God is addressing here? What is it? God forbids his people to marry pagans. To marry unbelievers. So we surely, if anything, we're, we're getting to the nature of the injunction in Malachi chapter 2. But maybe this is true. Maybe what I need to do now is speak a little bit about the prevalence of what's going on here. Because I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're imagining is happening. This is the 5th century BC that we're in, okay? So maybe you're thinking, this can't have been happening all that much, really. I mean, after all, think about it. God has done so much for his people, hasn't he? Like he has just released them from slavery and captivity. And he's just taken them back to the promised land. And so maybe we're thinking, they can't really have been that faithless. I mean, they can't really have been going out marrying pagans and unbelief. They can't, this can't, are you thinking like that? Well, quite a number of you just now in your house group and your Bible studies are going through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, aren't you? Now, what have I said about the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the sermon series? Do you remember? I said that those two books are written at a Almost exactly the same time as Malachi. Now, let me turn this over to you. Have a guess at what major issue both Ezra and Nehemiah have to address. Have a guess. Written at the same time here. That's right. Both of those books, time and again, have to come back to the problem that the people of God are marrying outside of the faith. In fact, what do you, do you know what they tell us? They tell us, Everyone was doing it. Like, are we really thinking that 5th century BC, these people, because God's been good to them, they weren't being faithless, they weren't going out with, engaged in marital relations with unbelievers? Are we thinking like that? Ezra and Nehemiah say the priests were even doing it. The spiritual leadership of Israel were marrying unbelievers. Everyone is doing it. And do you know what they make clear? Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, they come together and they say, God is displeased with this. That mixed marriages, friends, they offend the Lord God most high. Now how about this? At this point here, let's think about London City Presbyterian Church, shall we? Like, we sometimes think the Old Testament is difficult, don't we? And we sort of wrestle... Is this applicable 
to us as the 21st century church or not? Like, what do we know about the Old Testament? We know that the moral law, the Ten Commandments is relevant. And then we look at the ceremonial law, the sacrificial system, and we think, well, that doesn't apply to us in the same way. Remember, we don't slaughter bulls and so forth. So what about this? Like Malachi chapter 2, like God's strict about this in these marriages. Does, does this apply to us in any way, shape, or form? But what did we read earlier on in our first reading? Can you remember? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I hope, all my heart, you understand what the Apostle Paul is doing. Who is Paul writing to in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? And the kids would all say, he's writing to Corinth. He is. But he's also writing to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing to the New Testament church. He's writing to London City Presbyterian Church. And you must have heard what he said. What does he say? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What does he say? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Surely we're all seeing the message here. The truth of Malachi 2 still stands that even today in this world in this culture the 21st century God does not want his people to engage in marriage with people who are of a different faith or no faith at all it is against his revealed will and so at this point let me just throw out two very very brief words of application the first is this that forgiveness is available through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you see why I have to mention that just now, do you? Because when we encounter people who have done this, when we encounter Christians who have gone and married unbelievers and who now see the error of their ways and see that that was a mistake and see that it was sin, what are we to do as a community? Are we to be judgmental? Are we to be overly critical to them? What do we do? We remind these believers of the mercy and the goodness and the forgiveness available in the Lord Jesus Christ. We remind those people that God can, he will, he does cleanse and forgive repentant sin. But then let me be very specific in the second application here. Let me speak to you. If you are a Christian and you are not yet married... And yet you are currently going out with someone who is not a Christian. That's specific, isn't it? A Christian who is not yet married, but who is in a relationship with somebody who is not a Christian. I say to you this morning, get out of that relationship while you still can. I I cannot see anything else that the Bible says to you than that. Do not... Do not come to the church with the old story that we always hear. It's going to be different for you and you're really in love with that person. And that person is actually really interested in Jesus. And that person wants to come along to church. And it's going to be different. It really is. And what happens? Maybe that person will become a Christian. Don't come with that story. Instead, do the right thing. The God-pleasing. The biblical thing. And though it will be really hard for you 
then sever that relationship and cling all the more to the identity and the relationship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. God here forbids mixed marriages. I told you it'd be hard. The second thing uh, that we see here doesn't get any easier. Second thing that we see in Malachi 2 is that God here forbids divorce. God forbids divorce. Okay, as we enter into the second section, you love it how Malachi helps me as a preacher. Did you notice that in verse 3? He says, and the second thing... So as we move into the second area here, you probably agree, would you not, that it's a moving scene, actually. It's quite a heart-wrenching scene that he shows us in verse 13. Do do, Do you notice it? Do you see it? He portrays the people of Israel crying en masse. It's moving. It's moving if you study it. And they're weeping. And they're weeping. Did you notice the location of it? They're weeping over the altar of God. And in a sense, it's a lovely scene in a way. But what's the problem that they have? Why are they crying? They're crying because they know somehow that God has withheld blessing from them. The problem is, though, that they don't know why. They cry out in verse 14, God, you're withholding blessing. Why have you done that? What are you doing? And the answer that God gives is a shocking answer. Because what he says to the people through his prophet Malachi is that I am your right withholding blessing from you. But I'm doing it because of the prevalence and the tolerance of divorce amongst the people of Israel. Shocking, isn't it? Now let's just pick that apart just a little bit. Just now. What do you think of when you hear divorce? If you're anything like me... You think of it a lot of the times as a 21st century problem. You, you know what I mean, do you? The, the fact that our parents' generation or our grandparents or a bygone era didn't really have a lot of time for divorce, like marriage was lifelong and it's kind of a 21st century thing. Do we think like that? If we think like that, we've, we are absolutely wrong. Because again, what the books of Ezra and, Mal, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah make clear is that this problem of divorce was commonplace and prevalent amongst the people of Israel in the 5th century BC. I wonder if you would engage your imagination. Can you see what the problem is? Can you see what this looks like? The people of Israel, they come back into the land. Remember from captivity? They come back in. What do we know about the land? It has now been occupied by pagans. So pagans have come into Judah and Israel. Now what are the men of Israel doing? The men of Israel looking around and they're seeing all these nice looking pagan women and they're rubbing their hands. All these pagan women have come into the land. What are the men doing? First section would say that the men of Israel are marrying these pagan women. But it's more than that. Do you see how it's much more heartbreaking than that? Because what are the men of Israel doing? The men of Israel are severing their existing marriages in order to pursue the pagans. Do you see the divorce? The men of Israel are jettisoning their 
existing Israelite wives in order to run after these pagan women. So what do we want to know? In a situation like that, we want to know, what does God have to say about that? Let me tell you, it's beautiful what God has to say about it. Because God does not hear in Malachi 2 just forbid divorce. He doesn't just throw it away. What he actually does for you is God shows you the reason why divorce is such an awful thing in his eyes. Don't we want to see that? Why God loathes divorce? Don't we want to understand the divine logic here? Well, I'll tell you what, let's look at it. So why does God, why is a divorce such an abomination to God? The first is commitment. Look at verse 14. Have a look. Even the kids, if you can direct the kids, it's not easy this stuff for the kids, but help them out. Look at verse 14. God says that he is witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless. Now, now consider the words very carefully. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now, I wonder if you see what we learn there. We learn a couple of things. Men, listen here. Husbands, please listen to me. What do we learn there? We learn that you should be treating your spouse as a companion. And that's a beautiful word in scripture. It's a word that's very rarely used of a relationship between a husband and a wife. But it is a word that has this real force of intimate friendship. It's very often used for a man and a man, their friendship together. But yet it's used here of that marital relationship. It's a, it's a, a word of, of great sharing. Of great intimate love. That's the relationship that should exist. But what else do we learn there though? Did you see? That marriage is a, what sort of relationship? It's a covenantal relationship. Now do you see the logic? Do you? Like part of the reason that divorce is so abhorrent is because of the solemnity of this marriage bond. What is marriage? It is a relationship that is entered into in the very presence of Almighty God. Are you married? Listen to me. Your marriage is a relationship that enjoys the ongoing scrutiny of God the Father. It is a covenantal relationship before God. Second reason that God abhors divorce is combination. A few nights ago, my wife and I Uh, We had a couple from the church, Sina and Emma. They came up to ours for a meal. It says an awful lot about how quickly Sina and Emma got married that we are doing marriage preparation with Sina and Emma six weeks after their wedding day. It says something about Sina and Emma or about Catherine and myself, I'm not sure. During the course of the meal, Sina and Emma mentioned the fact that on their wedding day in their ceremony, uh, the minister who was doing it focused in on the institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. No surprise for us, right? No surprise. Wedding ceremony, Genesis chapter 2. That was the focus of Sina and Emma's wedding. But that is also the focus here today. Because look at verse 15. Why is it God says to you that there should not be divorce? What's the logic, the reasoning? Because God has made man and woman, 
What is it? God has made them one. Now do you see the logic? Separation of spouses cannot be legally tolerated or tolerated in the church. Why not? Because these people have been brought together by the Lord God Almighty. What's happening in a marriage ceremony? What is a marriage? It is a spiritual amalgamation. One for God and one by God. But then the third reason that God gives against divorce is challenging, I think, especially for me, because he's talked about commitment combination. Now he talks about children. (laughs) Again, at these marriage preparation courses, I'll usually begin, I didn't do it with Sina and Emma, but I'll usually begin with an icebreaker. Don't you hate icebreakers? But you can imagine what it's like if we're going to be talking about marriage. Marriage is a sensitive issue. There's a lot of things, a lot of dodgy territory that we have to talk about when we're dealing with marriage. So I will chuck out an icebreaker to the couples that we do this with. And it will usually be something like this. What do you think is the purpose of marriage? Like biblically, what do you think the purpose of marriage is? And we'll talk about that for a while. How would you answer that question, friend? The purpose of Man, the purpose of it. So some of the answers we'll get are the gospel. Marriage exists to show us an illustration of God's love for the church. Hallelujah. That's a beautiful answer. And sometimes people will say it's about relationship. It was not good for man to be alone, was it? But nearly everyone says the same thing when we talk about this. They say one word, babies. They say, you know, part of the reason... That God has created marriage as he wants a good environment for the raising of infants and for children. Right Now, how would we think about that as a community of faith? Do we think that's a good answer? Part of the reason for marriage is for kids, procreation. Do we think it's a good answer? I think it's a good answer. It's not the whole answer. Look at this phrase halfway through verse 15. What does God want? What's part of the reason for marriage amongst his church? God is seeking no offspring. What is it? Godly offspring. And surely in that we see why divorce is wrong, don't we? What does divorce do? Divorce destroys the divinely mandated environment that best promotes the raising of God's children. Do we think the same as the culture on divorce? Do we think it's acceptable? Do we think the separation of spouses is not a problem? It does no harm. God's word to us this morning is a very, very different message. The separation of spouses has a detrimental effect on the spiritual welfare of the young. And we need to hear that. And then the last reason he gives is contempt. And I said earlier on, didn't I, that this is a hard portion of scripture. Now you see what I was talking about, mixed marriages and divorce, and there's much for us to struggle with. Do you know what? Malachi 2 is difficult and hard in a, in a totally different way, that this is one of the most famously difficult portions of scripture uh, for the textual problems and problems with the original language, okay? None more so than in verse 16. Let me just to tell you how verse 16 begins in the original language. It says this, literally it says something like, I hate, I am hating, sending away. That's roughly 
what we have in the original. Now, I don't say this very often, but I don't think our church Bibles do verse 16 justice, or I don't think it gets to the heart of it. The ESV doesn't. The NIV and most of the other English translations of the Bible, they hit the nail on the head. Do you want to hear how they render verse 16? Listen closely. Verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord God Almighty. Now what does that tell us as a congregation? Does it mean that divorce can never be allowed under any circumstances? Does not mean that. What we learn later on in Scripture, what our confession says, is that there are two exceptions for divorce. The grounds of adultery, the grounds of willful desertion. But come on, the exceptions, they should not be our focus this morning, should they? What does that verse tell us? It tells us that as a congregation we should flee from the idea of divorce. We should stand out from the crowd and stand out from London. Divorce, if you are a married couple, should not be on the table for us at all. No shape or form. And why? Because God says here, our God of righteousness and justice, I love it. God saying, I despise it. God saying, I hate divorce. So we see these two prohibitions. I, I want to end, I did say that I would do this at the start, I want to end just with a word or two about application of this. And I just want to throw three bullet points briefly, because this is not theoretical, is it? And we, we need to live this. How does this impact our community of faith? Three things. First is this, we may need to seek help after Malachi chapter 2 again. Do you see what I mean? I mean, maybe this is directly relevant to your life this morning. I mean, maybe you are actually sitting in church at London City Presbyterian and you are thinking to yourself, my marriage is in danger. My marriage is in peril. And you're facing what you see as seemingly insurmountable struggles with your spouse. I would say if that is you, you need to speak. Do not suffer in silence. Do you hear that? Do not leave that situation any longer. You need to speak. Yes, you need to speak to God about that situation. But you need to speak up. You need to speak to mature Christians. You need to speak to the church. You need to speak to the elders of the church. But what you mustn't do is leave it until it is too late. The second application is this. To those whose marriages are not on the rocks, I would say try harder in light of Malachi chapter 2. I think anyone who is married in here would say the same thing. That it is very easy in marriage, is it not, to take our spouse for granted. Isn't it? After the years of marriage, very easy to just lose sight of their needs and their desires, their wants, and to become a very selfish, selfish spouse. And what is God saying in Malachi chapter 2? He's saying have an intimate friendship in that relationship. 
He says twice, guard yourselves in marriage. So I say, if you are married, we surely need to do that. Like from this point on, do we not need to ensure that kindness and generosity and care, goodness toward our spouse, that those things are the characteristics of our marriages from this point on? And then the very last aspect here, the third application, in light of Malachi chapter 2, do we not need to lift our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this is what I said at the start of the sermon true maybe for you. That this is not just a portion of scripture for the heathen now for the congregation. This is a portion of scripture from God to you now, today. Is that how this is? That God here is taking your sin, lifting the lid of your sin, bringing your sin to your very eyes in Malachi chapter 2. You need to hear that again, don't you? There is forgiveness available in the Lord Jesus Christ. And how? What has he done? That he has lived that life that we are failing drastically to live, that life of perfection, isn't he? He has done all of that in, in our stead and before us. And then he has taken our feelings and our guilt and our sin and our iniquity and he's taken them upon his sinless shoulders and he has faced the wrath and the anger of God. And in so doing, what has the Lord Jesus Christ become? The bridegroom. What sort of bridegroom is he? He is one who is perfectly faithful to his bride, the church. What sort of bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ? One who says to his bride, looks squarely in her eyes and says, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Friends, if your sin is before you this morning, as it should be for all of us in here, we must go to the Lord Jesus Christ in contrite, repentant hearts and Though our sin be as scarlet, shall be as white as snow. We leave Malachi chapter 2, I hope, all my heart, we leave it holding marriage in higher regard that we might stand out all the more for the Lord Jesus Christ in this, in this world. That we hold it in higher regard that our eternal spouse, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might be forever priest. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we see in your words uh, our sin before us. We see uh, our guilt. We see that our lives are not uh, free from transgression. And that in the way that our relationships are structured, and that there is sin, there is sin in our marital relationships, and we see that there is sin in our desires often for uh, who we want to be in relationship with. We see our sin, uh, but we thank you so much for the Lord Christ. We thank you for the truth that really manages set up as this glorious picture of your love for your people, for your love for us. We thank you that there is this marriage that begins the Bible. And we thank you that one day the church shall be presented as bride to an awaiting faithful bridegroom. 
And so we praise you for that hope set before us. So we praise you in Jesus' eternal matchless name. Amen.